Bring it in to quarantine. That is how we're starting off today's read option because whoa, your boy got COVID. A oh. two and a, a two and a half year run of not getting COVID, knowingly at least, um, has come to an end. Tell the streak, uh, buddy. It's, so I mean, we we had our flu game last week. I took multiple tests last week. I was all over it. I was I was ready. Because I was like, if I have COVID, I want to be smart about it. I don't want to go around anywhere. Took two tests, waited, did one like two days after I started having symptoms, which already is like perfectly in the middle of that window. You're supposed to do it. It's like three to five days after infection or whatever. And then I did it again. Uh, I waited another two days, like a day and a half. And I did it again. And they both came back negative. And so I thought, all right, I'm, I'm feeling better. You know, my voice came back. I'm sure many of you who heard my additional open after the Sixers lost on Thursday night, you were like, dude, why does it sound like you're gargling nails and gravel all day? Because your voice sounded terrible. Um, it did, but it came back like the next on Friday, I woke up. I was like, man, I'm good to go. We went and played golf, not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to be that guy here. I was one under par through six holes on the back nine playing the best golf of my life. Me and Scotty out there. I'm feeling like a new man, and uh, I get home from work today, starting and working on a new show over at Sirius, and uh, went back in studio for the first time in like a month. I'm feeling good, and my roommate texts us and says, hey, boys, bad news. I got COVID. So I said, shit, well, I got to test myself again. And uh, Scotty, I know I tried to show it to you before we hopped on here, but I hopped on. I, I did the test. And I don't think it was more than 30 seconds before the darkest and most bright purple pink line popped up on the test. You know, like if this was a pregnancy test, like you'd be shitting your bricks if you saw it happen that quickly. Um, and so just from then on, I was like, damn, all right, I guess I'm I guess I'm I'm a quarantine boy for right now. So uh, locked in locked in the room. I'm in here and you text me. You're like, oh, do you still like do you still want to go? Like, how are you feeling? Like, you just want to record? I'm like, yes, because this is literally the only thing I'm going to be able to do. This is the only yeah. human interaction I'm going to have for a couple of days. So definitely need to do the podcast. And obviously we have a lot to talk about with the NHL playoffs and some other stuff going on too. So that's yep. my world. Well, How sorry you you're doing? feeling so shitty, but uh, you know, uh, it's, that's the thing. It's I don't even down- feel bad. I feel fine. Well, it's a downer that you, that you have it, you know, emotionally. And, and, yeah. Uh, so much for that. Uh, so much for playing golf on, uh, on Friday, but uh, Hey, yeah. uh, we'll get back out there in a, in a couple of weeks. Once you're, uh, you're uh, healed up and safe uh, to go out and interact. Bingo. Um, and you, and this is how I, this is the other thing too. I'm like, we were together on Friday. Timeline would suggest that like at some, I could have gotten it around there. I don't know when exactly I got it, but I also went out and had a drink on Friday night. So it could have been after that. And I was with Andrew and he got it. My roommate, he got it too. Um, sorry, probably that might be a HIPAA violation. Um, but, uh, so I don't know when I got it exactly, but you're in the clear which is which is something i, I so far yeah i'm gonna to. i'm gonna test again but yeah test again but for right now scotty's also in the clear which is uh which is good and then i guess we really did just get sick being drunk idiots at a cold rainy golf event which yeah makes me feel better at least that i didn't sure. accidentally get anyone else uh sick um but hey that's why you get the vaccine that's why we're uh we're rolling here um lots going on your warriors 
won a big game on Friday night. Closeout. Yeah. Uh, big one. Big game. Steph Curry looked good. Clay Thompson looked good. Uh, but there's still some question marks around them, I think. And uh, their opponent is not the Phoenix Suns, as we both thought was going to be the case. Um, Phoenix just might be the worst playoff loss of our lifetime. I, I In a big moment, they were down 44 points at one point in the fourth quarter. I mean, we thought the blowout between Memphis and Golden State in game six was bad, or game five was bad. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker and them boys just said, hey, hold my beer, boys. We're, we're about to show you what a real bad loss looks like. Um, I guess we can start positive. Um, let's start positive. We'll get to the Warriors in a second because there's less to go to talk about there. We also had the Bucks and Celtics series wrap up. Um, and as you pointed out, too, we had seven game sevens as a whole between the NHL and the NBA. All five in the NHL were spectacular. Yeah, and the two in the NBA were absolute duds. We're still waiting on a good game seven in these in these NBA playoffs. Um, I guess we'll start there. Actually, has this been a good playoffs in the NBA so far? I think uh, you know we were sitting here after the uh, at the beginning of the first round, <clears throat> and even through most of the first round, being like, "Wow, this playoffs is unbelievable." There's been so many good games, uh, you know, and and, and in the second round, it was just kind of, uh, you know, for the most part, they were hard fought series until you got to, to close out games where it was just like, all right, where the, the winner of this is, is going to drub everyone. Right. And, and that's what happened to the Sixers. Right. Uh, in the, in the final two games of that series, uh, Warriors did the same thing to, uh, to Memphis, uh, even, even though it was a close game for most of the way. Um, and then, uh, the the two game uh, the two games on uh, game sevens on uh, on over the weekend here just absolutely like drubbings, dude. I mean, um, like the think about if we go through the playoffs, right? You had the game one of Boston and Brooklyn in the first round. That game was epic. Jason Tatum with the buzzer beater, right? You had the Joel Embiid shot in the Toronto series. Uh, Trey Young hit a last second shot in a series that we all knew Miami was going to win. So like, yeah, it was cool. Atlanta stole a win. It was the last second shot. It was a nice play, but it didn't really affect how no one saw that series going. And then Miami just came out and blew the doors off of them in the next game. Uh, and then, and then Minnesota than, played close. I mean, but that that was, you know. Yeah, the Minnesota, the magic. It, I guess that's true. The Minnesota-Memphis series, like that one was just drunk the whole time. Like it wasn't even good basketball necessarily. It was just entertaining, which I'm not going to complain about. Um, yeah, and then the, you had the New Orleans and Phoenix thing too, but – even in that series, I don't think anyone, I mean, when Chris Paul goes out and goes 14 to 14, right? I mean, you're just like, all right, well, I, I think we all kind of knew at that point where that series was going to. Uh, but it's it's a weird thing in the in these playoffs where it's been like we had two seven-game series. And then, look, not to discredit, the Milwaukee and and Boston series has been an awesome series, was an awesome series. Uh, it ended oh yeah, unceremoniously, right? It was not the greatest ending to a – a playoff series we've ever seen uh, game six was a little disappointing and game seven was a little disappointing after you had, you know, games one through four and then, Oh, I guess one through five, even uh, in that series being really, really entertaining games. I don't know. I, I, I look, I love the NBA playoffs. I love being able to sit down in the majority of the week. You have something to watch like we've had for the last month 
you know, because it's crazy. We're basically almost a month into it at this point. And it's awesome having that every single week. Uh, but at the same time, like we've had two game sevens. They both have been terrible. Uh, and any like winner go home game has been a blowout. You know, honestly, I think the closest one we had was probably Friday night with Milwaukee, uh, with Golden State and uh, uh, Memphis. And yeah. even still, like Golden State was handling control of that game for the whole time. There were just little moments where like, is Dylan Brooks going to drop like 50 in this game in the first half? And then you realize, no, second half, Golden State came out and, and won comfortably in game six. So I don't know. It's weird. Uh, but the, the most shocking thing of all is what the hell happened to this Phoenix Suns team? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chris before, Paul, that's what happened. Before, like, af- after game two of this series, the Phoenix Suns were 70 and 20 on the season. I mean, just tough to ab- win 70 games. Uh, they are one of, I think, 25 teams in, in the last 26 years. Uh, which is when certain analytical metrics came out where they were top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And all other of those 24 teams made it to at least the Western Conference or Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, This is an all-time letdown spot. And they're a really interesting case study because, A, they have arguably the worst owner maybe in professional sports, but definitely in the NBA and Robert Sarver, mm. who's currently being yeah. investigated by the NBA uh, for a slew of Dan Snyder-esque things. Ooh, um, I want to do this top 10 list. Top 10 yeah. worst owners in professional maybe, sports. Maybe, maybe that's what we'll start doing. Maybe we'll just start ranking our least favorite owners. Um, and then you look at, you know, Chris Paul's 37. They signed to an extension last year. He's still got another two years left on that extension. And Devin Booker signed long-term. Mikhail Bridges is signed long-term. DeAndre Ayton, restricted free agent Big this question year. mark, yeah. Uh, and some of the comments after the game, he didn't speak to the media. It, what happened with this team? And I know, I know you're beef against Chris Paul, but I, I think it would be unfair to blame Chris Paul because if it wasn't for Chris Paul, who, who knows? Maybe they would have lost to New Orleans. Just feels like something switched in this team where they went from basically being on cruise control, driving through the valley and, you know, sun in their hair to all of a sudden they get embarrassed by 40 points. And Luka Doncic is now playing in the Western Conference Finals with the Dallas Mavericks, with his second best player being who? Jalen Brunson. And I love Jalen Brunson, but I mean. Dinwiddie, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) in, In what world? Are we living in right now where this just happened on Sunday night? Uh, the one where uh, everyone, uh, I'm going to go for the low hanging fruit first and then, uh, and then hit what I actually think it is. The one where Chris Paul is uh, considered to be one of the top five point guards in the world. Do it in the playoffs, get to the finals, get out. You're not a top five point guard of all time if you can't You're wrong. do it in, in wrong. the playoffs and in game seven. Do it in closeout games. Get out of here, Chris Paul. What a You're joke. Absolutely um, wrong. Uh, no, man. You know what happened to this team? was uh, Luka Doncic uh, stepped up, huh. number one. And then number two is the guys uh, uh, who have played phenomenal defense all year long uh, around the uh, around the Mavericks. I mean, the, the Mavs defense holds teams to 34% from three all year long. That's fourth in the NBA. Uh, and so you get guys like that uh, who, who play solid defense. They're starting to play as a unit together. And then... Uh, guys like Dinwiddie and and Jalen Brunson who start scoring and and utilizing their role uh, more and just letting Luca do his thing and then Luca not only scoring but becoming a playmaker type like 
like he looks a lot like Jokic in this series, right? It's you, you roll off the pick and roll action with him. Great. Now you've got him uh, backing you down on the court. Guess what? He's a playmaker. He's going to kick it out to Dinwiddie for a three uh, because you have to put two guys on Luca in the paint. If, if uh, even if Deandre Ayton's out there for the Suns, So uh, then the perimeter game, he's rolling off pick, uh, pick and rolls uh, and scoring. You got to keep him on the drive. And, and I'll talk about this when we preview the, the series with the Warriors, but you got to keep him on the drive because otherwise he can do whatever he wants on the basketball court right now. He, he just looks like an absolute freak. Well, and he's such a tough mismatch. You know, one of the things I love, and it might be my favorite thing about Luca is the way he controls pace, right? And that's one of the things that people say about Chris Paul. That's one of the things that people praise about Chris Paul forever is that Chris Paul plays at whatever speed he wants. He dictates exactly what happens on a basketball court. And Luca does the same thing, but he does it at six foot eight. And he does it at, at 260 pounds and he does it at a much bigger frame and he can use some of the low. I mean, Chris Paul has always been a really good post guard, you know, if he gets the matchups and his version of the post game is kind of finding his spots in the mid range. Whereas Luca, Luca can just kind of pour it in from anywhere. You know, I, yeah. he's a, he's a basketball savant. And I know that is a commonly overused phrase in professional sports as it is. But that's three. <laughs> I mean, that's what he is. And he, yeah, he's 23 years yeah. old. He's just unbelievable. He's, he's unreal. And I think there's a lot, I think there is truth, right? Because I think the easy thing in the, like, as you said, the low hanging fruit here, but as a whole, I think the low hanging fruit is bashing the Suns. It's, it's bashing Chris Paul. It's bashing, well, and I, you know, Devin Booker, right? I think but like, part of that's because the expectations are so high because they went to the finals last year and the yeah. run they went on was not, for lack of injuries in the West, like they were a good team. Uh, and, they were 2-0 in, in the finals. I mean, yeah, and they were, yeah. And, so and I they think ran the expectations, the expectations being through the roof this year, considering where they got to uh, probably ahead of schedule uh, in, in their team development. I think that was part of it too. And the other uh, from a Maverick standpoint, I know you're, you want to hit on the Suns, but from a Maverick standpoint, the adjustments that Jason Kidd made after game two mm-hmm. were nothing short of spectacular. Yeah, I, and I, it's so funny because I went back and did some reading about the Jason Kidd hire recently, right? Because it was one of those that kind of, I want to say flew under the radar, but whenever you have like a former great player and he becomes a head coach for the first time, like he was in Milwaukee, you know, Steve Nash is kind of going through some of that now, right? There's there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of eyeballs. And if it flames out, you know, you get that tag on you, right? Oh, another, another star player who can coach. And there were a lot of people at the time who were kind of criticizing or at least questioning the decision to hire Jason Kidd. But the one thing I kept reading over and over again, I went back and read a piece that Zach Lowe did. I went back and listened to a, a podcast, actually, that Ryan had, Rosillo had done. Um one of the things that kept coming up was how good of a staff he put together. And that should have been a clue that we, we all kind of picked up on as a whole, just because when you are that young as in terms of your coaching career, and he did spend a couple of years on the bench, right. With the Lakers, with some other teams as an assistant, um, he learned, he went to coaching school for lack of a better word. Right. And he learned the importance of having a really good bench around you, the importance of, of having coaches, you know, just like you have your your star players in the league on the floor, you need to have good bench players. You have a head coach, but you need a really good supporting staff. You need everybody around you. Uh, it's one of the more underrated things when you talk about coaching the NBA is how important 
the staff as a whole is, you know, a great example being like 2008, the Celtics. Why, why do people think doc has never gotten back to being the coach he was when they won in 08? We had Tom Thibodeau as his defensive coordinator, you know, and Tom Thibodeau is one of the best uh, defensive minded coaches we've ever had in the NBA. Right. And when he's not asked to be a head coach, he's a damn good defensive coordinator. And he was paired with a perfect team with KG and those guys with that kind of attitude to bring it out of those guys, to get them to play at a higher level. And, and that's what made that team so special. Uh, and, and the job that Jason Kidd's done is assembling his staff, getting everyone together. And then, like you said, too, the adjustments they made mid, I mean, they were down 2-0. And then they took our business on their home court. You know, Phoenix wins, but not by a whole lot at home and in game five and game six, you know, the Sixers were in the exact same spot. Right. And and that's where that's the difference in coaching. Sometimes co- coaching does matter in the NBA as much as people like Shaq and stuff try to pretend like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Coaching does matter. Now, ultimately, it always falls on the players, but coaching definitely does matter. And and Luca, Jalen Bronson. And, and the other thing, too, is, as you said, you know, Luca's ability to get other guys involved. Right. When the world revolves around Luca, when the defense revolves around Luca, that's going to leave other guys open. It's going to leave other guys opportunities to make shots. And whether it's Finney Smith, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, Maxi Kleba, all those guys, they knocked down their open threes. And they forced, I mean, DeAndre Ayton played, I think, 25 minutes in game six, and he played 17 minutes in game seven. And it was interesting, too. Devin Booker, when asked about Ayton after the game, alluded to his – uh, he basically said, like, you know, I hope his mentals are OK. And, and he's like, he's my brother and I love him. And I just want to make sure that he's OK and um, and he's taken care of. But he alluded to his mental health, um, which in, brought, brings up a really intriguing question. Right. They didn't give him the confidence in the offseason to be like, hey, we're going to give you the max deal. And for the record, I don't know if I would give DeAndre eight in the max yeah. deal. So I don't know if this is the right move or not. But I do think there's some validity to ask the question, what it does, does a player play better, feel more confident in the moment when you're on the brink of getting your contract or you're in a, Hey, play it, play it, show us that you need that you deserve this contract. Uh, and comparing that to like, Hey, if he had just gotten paid, does he deal with some of those, that extra pressure that comes into, well, like if I fuck this game up, if I can't be on the court during this game, I might be costing myself, 50 million dollars yeah and it's it's similar a similar sort of problem to you know what mb was talking about the other night in his post game where it was like i'm banged up i'm hurt uh but if i'm not on the court uh i'm, I'm weak soft yeah and and if i get on the court and play bad like then i suck I'm hurt, then i suck right so yeah uh, and that's an, it's especially tough for for eight and two and that regard because they they got so far last year and they were the best team in basketball this year as well so the expectation level again i think is is a part of the equation uh for for deandre Ayton and, and uh and what he's going through and feeling on a on a a regular basis let alone in the playoffs yeah uh, and again i i i'm never going to speculate on somebody's mental health other than i just hope that he is good um, DeAndre Ayton's a really good player and can be yeah. really, really valuable. You know, you look at a team like Milwaukee, and I'm not saying that they would be able to afford him because likely they would not be able to. But like Brooke Lopez is old, dude. Brooke Lopez can't play on the field. I get he's a huge body, 
But if you put him in a, in a role player type situation, you know, I, I don't think he'll ever be Bam, right? But he's athletic enough and he's actually bigger than Bam that like there, there are roles for him. And I think the thing is too, you know, you know where I would love to see him go, honestly? I'd love to see him in like a place like Charlotte. Small market team that hasn't had a good center in seven years. You got a young, athletic, awesome point guard in in LaMelo, a guy who's going to be able to set other guys up, right? And and a guy who can can make plays, throws up the lobs, and Aiton can just go and exist. And that also seems like a perfect kind of deal for for Charlotte here too because being a restricted free agent, someone's going to offer him a big contract. Now, there's not a ton of cap space out there, but if someone offers him, you know, that four-year max deal, then Phoenix has the right to match it. But with everything going on with the Sarver investigation, which by the time we hit, you know, Fourth of July weekend when when free agency opens up, who knows what's going to happen at that point, right? Who who knows if Robert Sarver is even going to be allowed to be the owner of the Phoenix Suns anymore? Um, so it's something to, to to keep an eye on. The other thing I want to bring up about the Suns and, and the player who, I mean, look, it, it's hard. I get why Chris Paul is the easy dump on target. Um, Devin Booker, there was a lot of Devin Booker talk over the last year in particular. And I like Devin Booker a lot. He was my favorite player on that Kentucky team. I think he is in that top 15 to 20 range. I never understood the people who thought like, no doubt he's a top 10 player in the league. Um, I think he can, I think he still has a chance because remember how young he was when he came to the league too. I think he's only like 24. Um, But like he was 19. I think he was 18 still when he got into the NBA because he was the youngest player in the draft that year. So we have a guy who's probably 24, 25 years old. He's played in the NBA finals. He's won a gold medal. He's played in huge playoff games. Uh, and he's just spent the last two seasons playing with the top five point guard of all time. I know you don't think so, Scotty, but you're wrong. So Devin Booker has done a lot. However, he finishes fourth in the MVP voting this year. And I, it felt like I had to almost say I thought Devin Booker was one of those guys. He was a Jason Tatum. He was one of those dudes. And it's not to say that he won't be one of those guys one day because I saw Kevin Durant actually had a great tweet today. Somebody asked him for his top 10 players in the league right now. And he was like, dude, I'm not doing this shit anymore. He was like, the league constantly fluctuates. You have guys playing at Hall of Fame talent for two months at a time, three months at a time. He's like, the amount of talent we have on the floor is all the time. It's incredible. I'm not doing that shit anymore. And I honestly respect that. Because you could do an updated, you know, top 10 players every single week, every single month, you know, you, you could do that every single playoffs. It's not just every year. It's not just every six months. You know, it's, it's not just after the championship. It's you could do that every week of the NBA season and make a valid case for every single one. And so as much as I do like Devin Booker, and I think he has a chance to be in that, that top tier of guys, Last night was a perfect example of a time where I was like, all right, well, Chris Paul's clearly banged up. DeAndre Ayton isn't going to be able to play. If you want to be like Jason Tatum, at least keeping them in it, if you want to go toe-to-toe with Luka, at least keeping them in it, you got to do more than you did. Uh, Efficiency-wise, he was terrible the entire series, even in the games that they won. Uh, He had two 30-point games, but then he finishes the series with 19 points and 17 points, and to be honest, Phoenix wasn't even remotely competitive in either of the last two games. 
Yeah, it's a stretch for me to call him one of the top. uh, I'd say even like twelve, because I think you're dabbling in that range there with with fifteen. I, I don't know. Uh, Is it time that we also bring up the Kardashian curse? That kind (laughs) of happened too. uh, I feel like that. Dude, the Kardashian curse is it's seemingly more and more, and only with (laughs) NBA players too. Well, there's no other uh, there's no other point of reference, I guess, right? Is that true? Have none of them dated like an NFL? I guess you're right. I guess they've only dated NBA players. I'm sure there's no correlation there at all. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, Chris Humphreys, Tristan Thompson, Lamar Odom. Odom. Yeah, I was I was I was debating whether I wanted to say that one. Uh, ben Simmons, Devin Booker. I think there's a couple other on that list too. It's uh. Yeah. It, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. I think. I think for America, I think we'd all be better off. I think America has the Kardashian curse. I think we'd all be better without the Kardashians in our lives, um, hmm. just collectively as a society. But uh, it's like that meme of like society without the Kardashians, and it's just like a dystopian like future. You know what I mean? <laughs> verbal. We're not verbal there yet. Meme. Stealing con- <laughs> stealing content from part of my take. You know, like every other sports podcast in America. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I do like Devin Booker a lot. He's a shot maker, but it's it's the Kobe comparisons. It's all this other shit with him. And it's like, let's just let's just pump the brakes, right? And this is why I'm never quick to anoint guys. I'm never quick to be like, this guy's the best person, right? Um, because as you get older, you develop more wisdom around following the sports leagues, right? And I think, not to toot my own home, but I think one of my strengths and someone doing this is just like i i always take into account like hit the history you know like i did my thing about joel Embiid and just how like it's rare to have a center be the best player on a championship team that's just looking at the course of nba history it's rare and we can all get swept up and be like oh he's so physical he's so dominant it's all this stuff but it's like okay but you're fighting against 75 years of history all right as much as devin booker is amazing and we can get swept up in some of the step backs and some of his fadeaways and the and his three-point shooting not even make hasn't even been that good over the course of his career, especially not this year. Um, his ability to get to the bucket, you know, some of the stuff he does on social media, I think he's a very likable guy as a whole. Um, but it's easy to get caught up in that stuff and then recognize, okay, oh, yeah, but there's like Jason Tatum. Like Jason Tatum's right over there. Jason Tatum is basically Devin Booker, but six foot eight, six foot nine, and way more athletic and way longer and a much better three point shooter. Other than that, like they serve a similar role within their offenses. And Jason Tatum's a hell of a lot better. And I say all of that here, go back a year ago. Let's go back to the bubble year in 2020. We were all saying the same shit about Jason Tatum that I just said about Devin Booker. So we never know. So there's totally a chance Devin Booker turns it around and has this unbelievable career. Not saying he needs to turn it around, but takes that next step. But I, I was disappointed in the turnout we had from him in games six and seven in particular. I mean, 17 to 19 points in the two biggest games of the year, when you have a chance to go back to the Western conference finals. Um, I don't know. I, and I'll be curious to see if we find out anything more about the Robert Sarver thing, you know, that investigation has been going on since the beginning of the season. And we haven't heard a peep. We haven't heard anything. And there's like no leaks on it. It's under lock and key because I have a feeling once it comes out, it's, it's going to be pretty bad uh, because Sarver's kind of been a scumbag for a long time there in Phoenix. So it's a shame I really like this Phoenix team. I like Chris Paul. I would have liked to have seen him get a shot to go back and redeem it. But 
we get Luca. We get another round of Luca, and I don't think any of us can be mad about that. Uh, all right, let's go to Brooklyn and Boston. Um, Milwaukee. An, sorry, Milwaukee and Boston. They already beat Brooklyn. <laughs> what in a yeah? Let's go back two weeks, and we'll talk about that series again. Um, so what about Kyrie? How about that? You know, what a weird guy. Um, no, going to that series, what an unbelievable turnaround for Boston. I mean, talk about being mentally tough. You lose that heartbreaker at home. You lose two heartbreakers at home. Yeah. And then you bounce back, win the games. Uh, there's a little bit of that karma, right? Milwaukee played the played the seeds, right? They didn't want Brooklyn in the first round. They're going to say that it was all about trying to get guys healthy and everything for the playoffs. But they didn't want that smoke in the first round with, with Brooklyn. Boston said, we're going to play over whoever we want to play. And then you get a game seven at home. That's a reward for that. And Milwaukee had a chance to send the game on their home court. They didn't. And then on Sunday, they show out. And similarly to, to Phoenix, though nowhere near as bad, they got their doors blown off. And, and the defense, I think, is the, the astounding thing. And I'm getting really excited for the Miami and Boston matchup, uh, particularly because I still just don't think uh, Kyle Lowry's going to play. And if Kyle Lowry's not playing, that makes the Miami Heat a better basketball team right now. It just does. <laughs> um, going back to all the people who wanted the Sixers to go out and try to get Kyle Lowry, uh, no thank you. Um, that's why, because Kyle Lowry's body has completely fallen apart on him this year. So what's the biggest uh, takeaway, I guess, for you from this series, right? Because I think, I still think if Chris Middleton plays in this series, I, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as close. I think Milwaukee wins in five, but he didn't play in this series. He was hurt. So we have to judge what we saw here. And Milwaukee clearly just wasn't, I don't want to say mentally tough because they just won a championship. And they were down a game in every single one of those series. But at the same time, you're up. You got a chance, two games, one on your home court to send the game out. You lose. And then you go to game seven in Boston, and that's a tough place to win a game seven. Yeah, well, it's to me, it's the old adage, man. Defense wins championships. It's I, like the Celtics uh, for Milwaukee on offense, their bread and butter all year long had been the three-point. Um and they lose one of their their best shooting three pointers in Chris Middleton for uh, for this series, <clears throat> and I, the Celtics defense swarmed all over the perimeter and put everybody off the line, and held the Bucks to less than twenty eight percent from three the entire series, which was huge because now you you are able to exclusively almost put the ball in Giannis's hands and make him go to work, right? And then when you have Marcus Smart defended him unbelievably the entire series, uh, everybody did. That was uh, a tag was team. I mean, Grant. I think Grant uh, Williams honestly Grant was the one yeah. who, who. I mean, and, and then on top of it too, he ties the record for three pointers in a game seven with seven. Um, <laughs> and Grant Williams is pouring it in, and he's a good corner three. He's kind of like he, I'm. I'm call it now. Ten years from now, Grant Williams is going to be the next PJ Tucker. Like they're the exact same <laughs> yeah. player, undersized, yeah. plays bigger than the body, good defensive players, knocks down corner threes. Yep. That's a good call. Um, yeah, man. I, I, I just think that the, the defense for the Celtics is hitting it on hitting an unreal stride. Just the, the way that they are able to compete against, and it's not just like playing guys on ball on defense, man. It's the way they come off switches. It's the way that they, they allow uh, Marcus smart to be able to go under and, and stay on a guy like Giannis or, or Grant Williams, even, uh, to do that it, it's it's 
it's super underrated like because most basketball fans especially like when you get down to this time of year like all right who's who's the guy with the ball in his hands and you watch a team like Milwaukee it's got to be Giannis right so uh but I would encourage you to watch what's going on off the ball to get that play set up to Giannis right uh for example or what what Boston does with uh with Tatum and Jalen Brown uh on a on a typical basis or what the Warriors do with Steph and Clay off ball right it's it's those are the little things that that win especially in this series what what had happened was the the close games those are the things that win it 100 percent, and well and it's that too and it's the role players which we talked to death on friday's pod but role players are ultimately what's going to win you big games like that right i mean like and the role players play better at home uh you know drew holiday has 21 Giannis has 25 they both, I mean, Giannis had 25 and 20 rebounds in this game and almost had 10 assists. I mean, almost had a 20-20-10 stat line, uh, which, uh, again, there's only so much Giannis could do. Yeah. Uh, no matter how dominant he is. he And that's honestly part of what made the game five win so incredible was that it was the role players that ended up winning the game for them. It was, you know, Grayson Allen hitting a couple big threes. Or sorry, Pat Connaughton hitting a couple big threes. And then uh, Bobby Portis hitting the putback shot, right, and getting the offensive rebound. Uh, and some weird bounces that kind of went their way. But traditionally speaking, you're going to see more guys like Grant Williams scoring 27 when they're playing at home in a playoff series. And you're going to see guys like Peyton Pritchard go four of six from three and score 14 points off the bench in 17 minutes of game action. Uh, like Jason Tatum didn't have to be the stud in this game, but he was lights out from three. He shot 50% from the floor. He did everything he needed to do. And then they were able to switch defensively and just constantly, I mean, whether it's having a lineup where you have Horford, Tatum, and Grant Williams out there guarding Giannis, or at least trying to affect them, slow them down, doing anything. But then all those guys can also switch and, play, you know, get hands in the faces of your role players and make life harder for your Bobby Portises and your Pat Connaughton's and your Wesley Matthews. But the one thing about this series, and I guess I, I wish I had thought about some of this stuff a little sooner, but it was just look at the quality of role players on both teams. I mean, two of the starters for Milwaukee were Wes Matthews and Grayson Allen, you know, yeah. and you get 22 minutes out of Bobby Portis and you get Pat Connaughton technically coming off the bench, but has 32 minutes in this game. Um, then you're relying on who? I mean, George Hill, I'm going to say Grant Hill, George Hill, right? I mean, and, that, and that's it. And then everyone else on that team didn't sniff game action till the end. They took a chance in getting Serge Ibaka, who I don't think played for more than like the first 10 games of the season. But then you look at the, the bench players for Boston, well, you know, bench or at least role players, Grant Williams, Robert Williams didn't even play in this game. Um, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Tice has come in and, and for all the shit he gets, he at least was a positive contributor to this team. This round. Derek White just being another ball handler because this team still doesn't have a traditional point guard. And then, yeah, you're banking on Peyton Pritchard coming in and banking some threes. And, and the hope is at least one of those guys is going to play well, well enough to you know, win a big game like this, win a big but seven, and that's what happened. That's what worries me <clears throat> going into the next round is that the that depth for Boston looks great when it plays great, but on an average basis, like I don't I don't think their depth is that phenomenal, especially compared to a team like Miami. Mm -hmm. Um like I for for all the defense that's gonna get played, and it will in that series. <laughs> um look Boston had just come off a series where they shut down two of the best scorers in the game right now in, in Kyrie and KD. Uh, then they come in and, and shut down 
or, or win close games, I should say, with with one of the best players in the world playing out of his mind. Uh, like you said, Giannis on a on a 20, 2010 streak. Um, and then going into a, 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 a series against another similar similarly built team, but I think Miami's going to have more depth there. Uh, and then, you know, is a guy like Duncan Robinson going to get in uh, because he's not known for his, his defense, but when he's on the floor, he's going to score. Right. Yeah. Um, so picking, picking and choosing your spots like that Miami, but I do think they are deeper than Boston. And that's the one thing that worries me about them moving forward. Well, and this is without Robert Williams too, right? Like I think the depth on their team looks a lot better when you're realizing, all right, like, Robert Williams is starting as your big man. Horford can play the power forward, which is a more natural position for him. You can then bring Grant Williams in off the bench. And those three alone are just three fantastic defenders. Tatum's become one of the best on-ball defenders and on-ball wings in the the NBA. Uh, Jalen Brown's always been a great defender. And then Marcus Smart did just win defensive player of the year. Uh, And then at that point, when it's Grant Williams, Derek White, and then even Peyton Pritchard, who again, like, yeah, you're only going to play him like 15 to 18 minutes. But he's going to give you 15 to 18 quality minutes. He knows his role. He's never going to overshoot it. That's the one concern you have with Derek White, who went, you know, one of 10 uh, from the floor in this game and one of six from three. Like, but that at least gives you four quality bench players. And I would say that uh, Miami's not that much better. They have more shooting off the bench. You know, Gabe Vincent, Struess. Um, and this is all if Lowry plays, but then, you know, like you said, Duncan Robinson, obviously Tyler Hero just went six men of the year. Like they have shooting that comes off the bench, but they don't have any bigs. Like I, I think Boston's just got so much more size than them outside of, you know, Bam out of bio. But, you know, if they were able to do what they did to Giannis with a combination of Horford, Tatum and Grant Williams, and, and we're still, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Robert Williams. Looks like he has a bone bruise similar to Giannis, so I, I think he's kind of TBD. The fact he didn't play in this game is probably a little bit concerning for Boston fans. Um, but the fact that they were able to slow down Bam as much as they were, given the fact that they only had those three guys playing defense as, as the guys who were going up against them and just trading off because they just have a good, hard-nosed team. And weirdly enough, what uh, Adoka's done with Boston is a little heat culture-ish. You know, uh, it's a little it's too early to say that, but it feels a little bit like that, you know, uh, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that matchup lines up. I, ultimately, I think Giannis was the best player in this series, no question, but I think Boston was the better team. And I think that's kind of where Boston gets their money. It's where their bread's buttered right now. It's just when they play, they're the better team, right? They're cohesive. They have an elite shot maker, one of the top, five to 10 players in the NBA and Jason Tatum. They have uh, another top 25 to top 30 guy in Jalen Brown. They have an experienced veteran in Al Horford. They have a bunch of guys who can switch defensively. And then they have that heartbeat dude and Marcus Smart. Like this Boston team, I think is probably the favorites moving forward. Um, But Miami, Spo, still the best coach in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, still that dude who, who no one wants to go up against just because even though I don't love him all the time, and I don't think he's a, you know an elite, elite top tier guy. He's still a really, really fucking good player, and he's playing at a high level, and he's in phenomenal shape, and he's leading that team. Bam's an X factor, uh, and then the biggest X factor for Miami, honestly, is just how much shooting they have. Because when they're at home, those guys like Strauss and you know Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson and Hero, those guys don't miss when they're at home. 
so Boston's going to have to go down there and they're going to need like a 45 point performance from Tatum. And they're going to need guys like Grant Williams to continue to knock down threes. I can't believe Grant Williams shot 18 threes in this game. <laughs> Did you hear the comments from Tatum after the game? No, what he uh, said. The, there was a question from a reporter about uh, the volume that Grant Williams had. And Jason was like, yeah, I saw he took 18 threes. And I went into the locker room. I said, you're not going to keep taking that many. <laughs> and he shouldn't. But you know what? Sometimes when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. And guys will just <laughs> power through the heat check. Like, you know, hey, I hit a couple threes in the row. You brick one. Like, all right, that's the heat check. Not so, Some guys are like, nah, I'm shooting. Shoot and the, shoot, way, baby. the way Miami plays defense, they're going to need a lot of heat checks uh, for, uh, for in that right. Boston line. All right, you. All right, let's move on. And let's uh, let's talk about your Warriors. And then uh, since there are Tuesday is when is game one of uh, Boston and Miami. So um, we'll do a little bit of preview there before we take a break. Um, go ahead, Scotty. Give us your uh, how you're feeling about your Warriors. Big win Friday night back in the Western Conference finals. Um, and then maybe we'll start with a little Dallas and, and Golden State talk here, too. Yeah, uh, I, I've, I feel good. You know, uh, it was the first night uh, in that series where I think the, the team on the floor put it together uh, uh, fully, right? I mean, Clay stepped up uh, big in, in game five uh, toward the end to help us uh, uh, clinch, uh, win that game. But then uh, it, was, it was just a full effort from, uh, from Steph and Clay and Draymond on, on defense as well. Uh, Kevon Looney played an excellent game defensively. Um, and so uh, as long as, as long as we continue to stay healthy, I think is, is the, the biggest thing because, uh, it, like, like all of the shooting that we do is, is great, but like the, the role players for, for Memphis, were shooting the lights out of the ball and, and we were going shot for shot with them, uh, for most of the last two, three games of the series, two games of the series, um, and so uh, credit to them. I mean, they, they're build, They're really young, too, uh, and they play out of their mind on defense. Jared Jackson is a monster down low. Uh, <laughs> look out for him to be uh, uh, in the depoy conversation within the next couple of years. Uh, but then also he's he can pull up from three, right? I mean, he, he had, I think it was, uh, it was about uh, five or six attempts from three. Uh, and he seven. knocked down half of them. Seven. Yeah. Well, no, he went one of seven in game, in game six. But yeah. Um, yeah, great. Def- he's a great defensive player. Uh, yeah. He's got some stuff he's got to work on, but um, he's a tough one to figure out. I think he's, I mean, him and Aiden were in that same draft class. I think they're both ones that you're kind of sitting there going like, are we really ready to pay this dude? And, and yeah, I think Memphis did give him a big contract um, already. So uh, actually I might have that wrong. We'll get spot track out looking at that, but no, I mean, it's a tough Memphis team, man. Let me ask really you this tough. though. Yeah. Great, great <laughs> Memphis team. Um, are we sure we can trust the Splash Brothers? Um, I think so. I mean, I think at this point in his career, Clay is streaky, right? Uh, he showed that in the, in the first round. Uh, not, maybe not streaky, but it, it took a while for him to get going. I mean, this was the first, uh, the first real you know, show out that we have from him. Um, and he had a couple uh, of spots in the regular season where where he was, but again, he's a lot of his success uh, in shooting the ball, especially the postseason in those the 
the five years to, in a row that we went to the finals was what he was doing off the ball. And when you're a step slower after the two major injuries you've had, uh, it's harder to get yourself open off the ball. Uh, and he, he did a decent enough job the other night, but um, you know, I think, I think he needs to be better at, at being a, a contested knockdown shooter uh, because he's, he's not going to be able to, to create the space like, like he usually does. And then Steph, I mean, I, I heard this today on, on ESPN. It's like for all of Steph's accomplishments, he's never won a finals MVP. Right. Uh-huh. So can we count on him in the conference finals and, and the finals if we, if they get that far to be the guy, because even in the, the, three series we played against LeBron, like, and Cleveland, he wasn't that guy. Right. (laughs) And not even close. There was one, I think there was for the, the series uh, in the finals, he was shooting like 20 something percent from three, which is nuts. Um, Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I have faith that we can, but I I think it is an interesting question because again, another year older, uh, another step slower, but, but uh, at least for clay, but uh but I think they can put it together um, with uh, with some of the playmakers that they've put on the court around them as well, including like Jordan Poole, uh, Draymond's still there. Uh, Kamingo, when he's in there, has learned to to be able to 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 do that as well, and on top of scoring. So, uh, and Otto Porter, who is who's out for the last two games, uh, I think would be a, a critical part of that as well. Yeah, I I'll be honest, dude. I, it scares me. It scares me a lot. Um... I mean, Steph and Clay are two of my all-time favorite NBA players. And watching those two at their peak is, I think, the most fun I've ever had watching basketball. And they're not those guys, right? And it, it kind of feels like we're, we're at the craps table with these guys, right? And it feels like this series is going to come down to, are we going to have games like game six where clay and Steph both drop 30 and are, you know, at least a t- I mean, clay going eight of 14 from three, you know, that feels like vintage clay. It feels like, all right, this is the guy that, you know, we remembered seeing, but how many games in this playoff so far have we seen out of the, the 10 games or, or 15 or how was it? 12 games is it how no 11 games that golden state um, has played in these playoffs. How many of these clay games have we had two, three, one you and know. a half. <laughs> yeah. So that's concerning. Uh, Steph has definitely been a little hit or miss. I also think we've been quick to jump off the fact that Steph came back from injury early, not trying to make excuses, but I, I, I still don't think Steph is, you, you don't play your way back from, from a foot injury into shape. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you come back early, it's going to bug you until you stop playing basketball again. And it's probably going to get worse over time. And the other aspect of it, right. The, uh, you know, splash bro, junior Jordan Poole. Hasn't been good since game one of these uh, of this series against Memphis. So we were so quick to anoint him, but we often forget that, yeah, he's also still a young kid, and this is his first taste of the playoffs. Uh, the one advantage, obviously, that Golden State has over Dallas is they've been there before. But weirdly enough, with this Dallas team, I'm not worried about the moment being too big for Luka. I'm, and I'm, I'm not worried about the moment being too big for J- uh, Jalen Brunson, who won two national championships and was a part of two – fantastic college basketball teams playing in the final four in a football stadium, right? Like when you play in an environment that big and you was on the floor for, well, not on the floor, but was on the bench for Chris Jenkins hitting one of the best shots in, in basketball history. Like 
He's seen these games up close and personal. He's won big games in, in situations like that. And I don't think you can undervalue that kind of experience. So I don't know how much the bright lights kind of thing is going to affect Dallas when they get a chance to go up against, you know, Steph. Like Luke is the kind of dude who says, like, I want to beat Steph on my way to the finals. And the thing is, too, though, and this is why I, you know, compared it to craps, sometimes you go on a run. Sometimes you just don't roll a seven. Sometimes you roll everything else and you win the whole group of everybody around your money. And that's, that's why it feels like gambling a little bit with these guys, because clay could go off and have two straight games in Dallas where he drops 30 points and is lethal from three. Steph could, we haven't seen Steph go nuclear yet in in these playoffs. Uh, I think partially because he is still kind of dealing with the foot injury. Maybe he gets to a point where he's able to do that because I don't think he's got to – I don't think there's anybody who's a good matchup. I mean, Brunson is going to run around with Steph the entire time. I do know that. Um, And the bigger bigger concern then for me, if I'm talking about Golden State, because I think Golden State, if they're hitting their shots, can win these games. But if they're not, who the hell is guarding Luka? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) So the obvious answer is Draymond, right? Uh, Because he's he's the best – he's the best – on-ball defender. But they play that uh, like drop guys that coverage. Size. Yeah, but he's not – I mean, that's not their defense. He plays that so, drop coverage against everybody. So he he's going to – he plays free safety. That frees Luka up to to uh, playmake on the perimeter or pull up three, right? Um, I think then you you think about guys like if you're double-teaming, Clay's got to be involved. Uh, Wiggins uh, as well, who, who's been fantastic defensively over the uh, the course of the, the postseason here. Um, and then if you trust him, I think the guy that can really make a difference uh, is is a rookie, and, and that's Jonathan Kaminga because he has has also been able to. And the four games that that they played uh, in the regular season, he was able to body up uh, body up Luca pretty good and uh, and contain. I'm not saying you know. Uh, uh, he he held him to to under like twenty or twenty five, but he's able to contain Lucas. So uh, the yeah. the thing with the with the that with, is, okay, is that Kaminga, do you want to do that? Do you Kim- well do you do you want to do that and like uh, you know let Luca get his forty and then do uh, guard everyone else? That's kind of what we were doing at the beginning of the Memphis series. Is like all right, Jog, go get yours. Uh, we're gonna make sure we're we're guarding everybody else. Yeah, uh, and that sort of works, but you know it has to be the the right people playing good defense at the right time. Kaminga is going to get if you put Kaminga on Luca, he's going to have three fouls on him in the first ninety seconds of the game, and that's what I'm worried about. Like, yeah. and that's and that's the problem because you have a young, crazy, athletic, capable defender going up against one of the best, you know, offensive artists in the in the league, guy who draws fouls better than pretty much anybody else not named Chris Paul, you know, in, in the entire league or, I guess Joel, or, or Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, and this isn't even like a, like a, like an Embiid or a Giannis or someone where you can just be like, Hey, go, go throw your six fouls at him, dude. Make him work for every single thing. Luca's just going to put you in bad spots and he's going to get tic tacky fouls and he's going to make a lot of those and ones too. And you're going to set him to the line. He's going to make his free throws. And then you're putting the rest of the team at the line, right? Like Luca's so good at that to the point where him and Chris Paul were going back and forth in the last series being like, you know, he's like, you know, I learned that one from you, Chris, you know, and that kind of chirping back and forth, which that's true. Like he did. And Luke is amazing at it. Uh, I will say this. 
if there's one player in the NBA that I trust to come up with a defensive game plan to figure out how we can try to slow up Luca, it's Draymond. I don't know if that's going to be on ball stuff because I just don't think Draymond has that in his in his bag anymore. Yeah. Um, but schematically and and the way he calls out defenses as like that middle linebacker dude, um, it's special. And there's no one better in the league than Draymond at doing it. There may not be anybody in the last 25 years better than Draymond at doing that. He's so good. He's been undersized his whole career, and yet he's gone up against centers and guys like Jokic who have six inches on him and, and you know, 75 pounds, and they come up with a good game plan because he just puts everybody in the right spot. So there probably will be a little bit of like, hey, we're not letting, you know, Finney Smith and Maxi Kleba, you know, crush us here from the outside, but – at the same time, if Luca gets hot and you start having to put some resources on him, especially in these games that end up going back and forth, or Golden State's on a bad shooting night, and now they're forcing up threes, and then Luca comes back and hits a step back in your face, like all that momentum swinging stuff, and not to mention the energy that I think Dallas has going into it. I, I'm not gonna lie, dude. I'm starting to lean Dallas, um, but at the same time, I want to see the Splash Bros do it again. And if Jordan Poole gets hot again, if he catches fire again, then I think we'll see a, a very competitive series. Uh, on the other side, we have Miami and, and Boston. We talked a little bit about that. But, um, you know, I think defensively, really, we're, we're talking about we, – we're talking about two of the best teams in the NBA defensively. Yeah, they're first and fourth in defensive rating. Uh, there you go. Coming um, up against each other in the conference finals. I'd say that's pretty good. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a who makes their shots and Butler is going to find, and this is where I actually think Miami's got an interesting case. Butler does a really good job of finding that middle, that middle area, right? Like he has his spots. He's not going to shoot the outside three, but I don't think Boston's going to let him get to there. You know, like typically Jimmy Butler has a size advantage against whatever shooting guard or whatever's on him. Well, if he's got Jalen Brown or if he's got Jason Tatum guarding him, you're basically, I mean, Jalen, is about the same size, but Jason Tatum's way bigger than Jimmy Butler. Uh, and then I think they have the bigs to be able to work on, on, on Bam. I just, I don't know, you know, you can, you can bet on the, on the uh, Max Struces and Gabe Vincent's and Duncan Robinson's to get you to the Eastern conference finals. I'm not going to bet on those dudes to, to get you there and the starting five and those, that's the thing. At least two of those guys are going to be in your starting lineup for Miami. Uh, and that's concerning, but they'll get hot for a couple games. I think they'll win probably at least one of two. Um, but then again, too, they have home court advantage. So, yeah, which is huge. Uh, I, I think the, the Butler thing is, is, uh, uh, well taken. It's to me, surprisingly, he's averaged, uh, he's, he's had 30, I think it's like 36% on four attempts from three when he's been, he was at like 27 uh, on two attempts in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, so if he can, if he can find that shot and continue to find that shot, then uh, that's one thing. I don't think that the Boston's defense, the way that they've been able to play out on the perimeter, run guys off the three uh, in both series, uh, it is, is going to be conducive to let Jimmy think that he can even take those shots yeah. uh, at some point in the series. And, and you're right. I'm betting on, on, even though they're not deep rota- super deep rotationally, uh, as I think Miami is uh, from an offensive standpoint, I think I'm betting on uh, on Boston and, and the way that they're playing uh, defense and then offensively with uh, with 
Tatum leading the charge there. Um, I, I think I'm with you. The, the one caveat I'll give Miami here too is just that Bam doesn't have a Joel Embiid to guard him, right? And we saw the difference in games three and four when Embiid came back and just having that enormous presence where Bam is undersized. I mean, he's probably going to get guarded by guys like Grant Williams and Al Horford, which I actually think I give Bam the advantage, despite the fact that I think both of those guys are really good defensive players, uh, just like I gave Giannis the advantage. But those guys were able to slow him down enough, and Giannis was the whole show. Bam's going to be able to dish it out from that high post, and he's going to be able to do some stuff. Um, and then the rolling and stuff he does too, which ultimately becomes a bigger factor when Miami starts making their threes. So if Miami starts making their threes, you have Jimmy Butler who's able to attack in the low post or in the mid range. And then you have Bam who can attack the low post. Uh, just, they all feed into one another and they all kind of open it up and they can beat you at multiple different levels. So uh, I think if you keep Jimmy away from the mid range and that's where you're going to put guys like Jason Tatum on them uh, and you kind of throw a barrage at guys. And as you put out there too, very well said, Chase those guys off the threes, right? Um, the more you do that, and with the length and defensive energy that Boston plays with, I think that goes a long way. So uh, I'm leaning Boston right now, but we'll see what happens in game one. Uh, your game one and game two, or game one for each conference series, who wins it? I'll start in the East. Uh, I think Boston's going to steal game one on the road. Ooh, Boston. I'm going to take Miami. I think game sevens drain a lot out of them. And I think it's a short turnaround. So I think Miami wins one, but I am, I am still leaning Boston the series for the series, but I think Miami takes game one and then golden state getting a home court advantage in this series as well. In the West improbably in the conference finals with home court advantage uh, or I did it again. Oracle chase is going to be rocking the chase center uh, for the conference finals. And, uh, and I think it'll be fun for, not only Mavericks fans, but Warriors fans to watch uh, Steph and Clay and Dre going up against uh, the young pup in, uh, in Luca. So I think there's going to be a lot of energy in the building. Warriors are going to start hitting their shots uh, and they're going to drain a lot of them. So I'm going Golden State in game one. I'm going to contradict what I said for game one and say that the team who has all the momentum uh, and just won a huge game on the road is uh, – going to come out and win game one in golden state and make it a series right off the bat i think dallas wins uh, okay <laughs> you just said that, the opposite i know i just said that but the, the reason is is that boston series was physically draining in a way that i don't think the dallas series was right okay. that that series was an absolute emotional physical beatdown of one another whereas the dallas phoenix one was not the most physical series in the world and the last two games were absolute cakewalk, cakewalks for Dallas. They won four out of the last five. They're rolling, right? And they get an extra day. I get, I get that they're different, but just because it's true in one sense doesn't mean it has to be true the other. Other thing, last thing here about the Golden State and Dallas series here, uh, Luka is 100% going to get Draymond at least two technical fouls in this series. I'll set the over-under at two and a half. Oh, that seems low. Um, I think it's low? <laughs> I'm going to hit the over on that. Yeah, I'm taking the over too, but I feel like two and a half is is good. So, all right, so we're both on the over for Luca and uh, Draymond, two and a half, attack the fouls. All right, uh, let's take a break. Come back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of our favorite games from the NFL schedule. There's just, we each picked out a couple that we're excited about. Uh, as we talked about in the last pod, it's all 
stupid at this point anyway. Uh, but there are some actually really exciting matchups just to see guys kind of go back and play old teams. Uh, and then we also are going to do something new on the pod today. Uh, starting today and pretty much every pod that's not a solo pod, we're going to rank our top 10 at a different position in the NFL, right? So this will kind of give us a little bit of extra content, a little stuff that we can spread out as we are, even though we're still in playoff basketball mode, before you know it, the NBA Finals will be over and we're going to be turning our attention fully to football. So starting to get those gears just loosened up, just a little bit of oil, just some maintenance, basically. Uh, but we're going to rank the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL to wrap up the pod. All right, so we talked briefly on Friday about the schedule release. I think like two games had gotten released. Uh, by the time we were wrapping up the pod, we threw it in as like late breaking news, but I don't know how many of y'all stuck around to listen to the whole thing. So we were going to take a couple minutes, highlight just some of the more intriguing games before doing our top 10 quarterbacks list. Um, and so Scotty, I'll give you the first, I'll give you the first pick. We can make a draft. We'll go back and forth. You pick one. Uh, that you're excited about, I'll follow it up. And then I think we each have a couple of homer picks that we're excited about as well. All right, let's do this. Um, I think first on my list is week one, Bills at Rams. A little mm -hmm. Super Bowl preview, potentially. Good one, one. That was also going to be my first one, too. Uh, so often, the NFL, one of the things they always typically get right is they almost always have a great Thursday night matchup on that opening weekend. Uh, it's almost always a highly competitive game. It's almost always another team from the playoffs, but it's exciting. We have two deep throwers of the football. Uh, this is a matchup I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen in the Super Bowl last year uh, if it wasn't for Kansas City and, and the playoff game. And we very well might have seen it if a coin flip goes the opposite way and Buffalo gets the opening pick, right? Or the opening kickoff in overtime and they could have gone down and scored. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that game too. I think Buffalo right now, I love what the offseason was. It was just a retooling at positions of need. Did another more good stuff in the draft. Take a cornerback. Um, I think they're going to be a really good team again. I mean, the, the biggest question for Buffalo going into the season, and obviously as we get closer, we'll talk more about it, is just Josh Allen, right? We just saw him have an unbelievable season, best season of his career. We saw him be absolutely dominant. Now this is back-to-back -back really good years for Josh Allen. Uh, does that stay up? Do we keep that momentum going? Can he grow on that at all even? Because I still think there's some room for improvement there too. Still a little too reliant on the run for my, uh, for my blood. We don't want to see another Cam Newton situation where by the time he's 30, his body is just beaten up from the amount of well, times he takes hits. But this is going to be an electric first game. Yeah, 100%. And to, to your point about the run, that's why I think they drafted uh, uh, James Cook. Uh, is to to alleviate some of that, and yeah. he's a premier back. I was talking to to somebody this weekend. I can't remember who, but uh, <clears throat> I said if you're in a dynasty league, take that guy because he's an electric runner, uh, a solid rookie, uh, and he's he's in a, a a scheme to succeed too. So yeah, I, I love that, and hopefully that can alleviate some of the running on Josh Allen and let him sling the sling the ball a little bit more, which is what we know he's good at, and he's got a great uh, receiving core to do it with. Yeah, Georgia running backs is typically always a good bet in fantasy. One in doubt, especially like those sec. What they take them third round? Yeah, yeah. Those little mid mid round running backs out of Georgia have a pretty good track record. Great offensive line. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how much more to how much more to see. And then for the Rams too, you know, I think 
they've been quiet for the most part. They also drafted a running back. Um, you got Allen Robinson. But that's what I was just going to say, right? I mean, as far as good as OBJ was, and he obviously started balling out in the Super Bowl and made some nice plays down the stretch, people forget about how freaking good Allen Robinson is, man. And uh, and the lack of targets last year, I think his his stock has dropped a ton. But in my eyes, like, it wasn't like he wasn't getting open. It wasn't like he wasn't able to make plays. And if anything, he was able to avoid a lot of contact last year because he didn't catch the ball as much or he wasn't getting tackled as much. Uh, but his like separation rate is still near the top of the league when it comes to wide receivers. So you're going to pair him with Cooper Cup. He's going to get the number two targets there. Uh, that's going to be a high scoring game. I don't know what the over set, but because uh, it's too early to tell. But whatever it is, I think opening weekend or opening night, that's you have to hit the over. Hammer the over. Have to, yeah. Um, all right. Well, my first one is also going to be week one, but on the tail end of uh, the weekend, and that's the Monday night football game between the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. Mm, I don't know what Pete Carroll did or Russell Wilson did or any of these people did to, <laughs> to, to warrant this. I know it's an exciting trade, but like week one, week one, we're having this matchup already. Uh, not to say that I'm not excited about it. Cause I think, it, I think it has, a chance for complete chaos you know i i yeah i know you and Vito were a lot higher on the broncos than i was i i don't know what to expect out of the denver broncos you know i i have no idea they're still young in so many places their offensive line is not that much better than what we saw with uh you know with russ had up in seattle the running back room should be better the wide receiver room could be better but with jerry judy who knows if he's going to be playing this year um there's a lot to, to be said for Seattle in Seattle in that environment. I'm fascinated to see how Seattle fans will welcome him back. I don't know. I don't have my, my finger on the pulse of Seattle fans. I don't think they're mad at Russell they don't Wilson. Have one. Um, well, that's just not true. And you know that. Um, I don't <laughs> think they're mad at Seattle. Or sorry, I don't think they're mad at Russell Wilson. I think they're probably more frustrated with the organization as a whole. Or maybe they're just nice Northwest people and they just kind of get it all the way around. Uh, but the one thing we know is that stadium is going to be loud. It's the opening weekend uh, and people, especially with all the buildup from that whole week, you know, I mean, you know what it's like when your team plays on Monday night football on any week, right? How excited you are by kickoff because you've waited an extra, you miss Thursday night, the weekend on all day on Sunday, right? And then you have to wait all day on Monday to be able to watch it. This is the first one of those on opening night. And there's a Monday night game before them. Uh, I think actually that might be week two. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because they normally have double headers on that opening Monday, but I know the Eagles play on the double header. I think it's week two. So I don't know if they have on week one or not, but either way, uh, that's going to be an exciting matchup and uh, it's going to be fun to see how the fan base kind of reacts. Yeah. Yeah. I think they welcome Russ back with, with open arms and then uh, he's going to say, well, you didn't let me cook uh, while I was here. So here's a 400 yard passing night and a beatdown." Throwing uh, to who? That is that is young and Jerry. Well, I don't know about Jerry Judy, but Courtney mm-hmm. Sutton will be there, and that's true. And, so got Courtney Sutton. Yeah, I, so, I think it's going to be a Noah Fant revenge game. Oh wow! <laughs> Noah Hant and Shelby Harris. Rare is, rare is the uh, rare is the tight end defensive end combo revenge game. I mean, that's really <laughs> the t- those are the two guys we're really excited to watch play their old teams in that game for right? sure. Yeah. Russ, who? All right, uh, you're up. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go with uh, week four. I'm gonna keep it early in the season. Week four, Chiefs at Bucks. 
Mm-hmm. That's a good game. I'm just the idea that uh, Mahomes and, and Brady are going to be squaring off again. And then the last time that the, that these two played each other was in Tampa Bay, uh, not for the Super Bowl, but in the regular season and, uh, and Tyree kill went off for like 300 yards, uh, but they don't have that anymore. So, uh, you know, who's, who's Mahomes going to be, be dealing to this time. Uh, and, but it, again, just to see two, two of the great quarterbacks going after it uh, against each other, uh, which is somewhat of a theme on my list, uh, yeah. but but uh, yeah, just to see those two guys competing against each other will be really fun. I'm fascinated to see what Kansas City does without Tyree Kill because so much of that offense was predicated around his speed. And yeah, they have you know they go out and draft Sky Moore in the, in the second or third round, uh, who who could be a really good player, right? He's an absolute burner, but I don't think he's not going to come in and be Tyree Kill. I mean, Jesus, right? I mean, like let's not kid ourselves. The addition of Juju, uh, you still have Travis Kelsey there. I think they also signed one other wide receiver. Um, so it's not the wide receiver room we're accustomed, but they actually have a little more depth than we're used to there. You know, it was kind of like Tyreek Hill. And then, you know, I get, you know, they had Sammy Watkins there for a couple of years, but in the post Sammy Watkins years, it was like Byron Pringle and, you know, guys like McCall that. Hardman, McCall yeah. Hardman, um, just these small, fast guys, they have a little bit more possession receivers. I think it's going to allow them to get a little bit better matchups with, you know, using Travis Kelsey. I think we see a very different chiefs offense because, we saw the defenses kind of not figured them out, but they found ways to combat the deep ball. They found ways to combat the stuff that we think of when we think of, you know, this chief's offense over the last four or five years. And I think this year they're going to lean into that. We're going to see a different version of them, maybe run the ball a little bit and, you know, seeing what they can get at them. It's going to be fun. I also had that. That was the next game on my list. Uh, my next one, we're jumping to week 15 and uh, week 15. We have the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to the tampa bay buccaneers um this is fun because in my eyes the closest thing we've seen to tom brady in terms of that confidence poise that energy that he kind of exudes you know after the the, probably like the first or second super bowl um is joe burrow right like joe burrow just carries himself in a way that we heard that brady was like behind the scenes for years where guys just gravitated towards him but obviously we didn't have social media. We didn't see all that stuff. We didn't talk about quarterbacks in the same kind of way as we do now. And I'm really excited to see what happens with, uh, with this matchup. I'm, I'm all in on, on Joe Burrow. I've been all in on Joe Burrow for a while. I love Joe Burrow and to see these two square off, uh, which I think they might've played once earlier in their career. Um, but I think it's going to be a really fun game and late in the season too. So there's going to be playoff implications involved as well. Assuming. Yeah. Yeah, that's another theme on my list is uh, is playoff implications. But this is going to be a huge game for the uh, for both teams because I feel like they're both going to be uh, in the thick of divisions that are slightly tougher than we thought they were. Uh, looking at it on paper here in the preseason, um, and especially in the AFC North too. But AFC North uh, definitely. I'm still not sold on the NFC South being too competitive. But the the, uh, the idea that that a game like this against two uh, two top ten quarterbacks uh, teaser uh, is going to be a uh, a spectacle, I think. And and uh, both defenses are really good, uh, so it'll make it that much more interesting to see how how uh, these two general field generals carve up the uh, the old pitch there. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right, uh, you are up next. Where are you going? 
I'm going to stick with the Bengals, and it's week 17. It's the Bills mm. at the Bengals. Uh, uh, talk about playoff implications. I mean, we're sitting here, and, and these are two teams who could be playing each other uh, ostensibly in the uh, in the AFC Championship game. Um, so, you know, again, another another duo of quarterbacks on either side, and and a pair of good defenses that are that are going to keep the game honest and and just like. I just want to see everyone stay healthy. That's all. Because some of these games, like on paper, like look really awesome. Um, and so, yeah, to see Burrow going up against Josh Allen, uh, you know, a little thousand yard passing night total. What yeah. do you think? I I think there's a good chance of that. I mean, well, maybe not a good chance of that, seeing as it's only happened once in NFL history and it was the Super Bowl between the Eagles and the Patriots. But uh hey you never know right if there was ever going to be two quarterbacks that did it i'm really curious to see how buffalo's passing game adapts this year no cole beasley anymore um they have stefan gig this stuff uh stefan Diggs back um but it's definitely not that depth you know i guess the, the hope is that you know guys like gabe davis who really came on in the playoffs there had that amazing game against kansas city in the in the divisional round of the playoffs yeah. the hope is that guys like that continue their progression uh, and can kind of fill in. And if that does happen and we end up seeing a, you know, a T Higgins like jump in this upcoming season for a guy like Gabe Davis. Absolutely. You know, Buffalo can be right up there and we know that Josh Allen's going to find any hole that he can and try to fill it. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> I'll just beat you to the punch. I knew you were going to do it if I, if I left it unchecked, but yeah, so I'm excited for that one too. That was one of the ones on my short list. And the biggest thing is you said, right. The playoff implications uh, is just, huge and um and i'll say this one too this one doesn't necessarily have direct playoff implica- uh, implications this is also week 17 but it's a litmus test i think for both of these teams and it's going to be one where we get to this point in the season we have high expectations for both of these teams and this is going to be like all right how are they looking heading into the playoffs and that is the bowl of la your favorite city in america scotty the oh, LA yeah. Rams, or well, one of the, I, I literally wrote it down as LA at LA because I just thought it was too funny. Bottom line is La La Land. <laughs> there you go. It's the La La Land Bowl. Um, I, it doesn't really matter who's home and who's away other than deciding the coin toss. I mean, the Rams will probably have a better turnout, but Chargers fans can be crazy too. But either way, these are two outstanding quarterbacks. One, obviously, just one of these teams coming off of a Super Bowl. One of these two guys in Matthew Stafford, career year. Uh, did everything he wants to do, but the Chargers have some really, really high expectations. The Chargers are going to be the trendy Super Bowl, just like the Bills were the trendy Super Bowl pick last year. That's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers this year, despite how loaded the AFC is, right? The whole yeah. AFC, not just the AFC West, but you look at the AFC as a whole, you're going to have to pick somebody. I, I can, I see the argument, but I can also make an argument for like seven teams in the AFC as to who's going to be the best. And so, this is a really interesting late season test where some teams might be like, you know, like a team like Indianapolis who might be cruising their way to winning their division might have Jacksonville and Houston. I don't know what the last two games on their schedule are, but presumably they're not going to have to play someone as good as the Los Angeles Rams in the other conference before starting a run in the postseason. So this could be one of those like, Hey, either we lost in a tight one to the Rams and it ignited us or, we beat the shit out of the Rams and we get overly confident or we beat the shit out of the Rams and, or we win a close game and that sparks a big Super Bowl run. Like there's a bunch that you can read out of this in addition to it just being a really fun game. But as you said too, Scott, when we're talking about these 
kinds of games this early out. There's one thing that matters, and you're just hoping that everybody stays healthy. But unfortunately, that's not how the NFL works. So the chances are, out of all these games, there's probably at least one or two of them, especially the later ones that are going to get ruined. Um, all right, let's do our quarterback ranking. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll do our QB rankings uh, right after this. All right, we're doing this to wrap up the show. Anytime we have at least two of us here, we're going to do a ranking of a different position. Again, this is just uh, this is just maintenance work on our football brains, right? It's like when you have a boat and you have to put your boat in the garage for the winter, but you still got a good boat owners. We'll go in, we'll grease up the gears, check on the motor, turn it on, make sure everything's still working well. So that way by the time, you know, you get to the summer, you can crack that bad boy open. That's what we're doing here. All right. A little boat. And if you don't have a boat, it's a lawnmower or a snowblower. Lawnmower, yeah. <laughs> any appliance really, unless you're my dad and just had the same snowblower for like 25 years and it just never stopped working because it was just the greatest piece of machinery ever made. Um, all right. Number one on your quarterback ranking is Scotty. I care about you. It has to be Tom Brady. Oh, already. We're not on the same page. Has to be. I mean, prove me wrong. Right? Look, the guy is in contention to win his eighth Super Bowl. All right. Uh, and and there's no seem, seemingly no sign of stopping. He retired and, and swiftly unretired. Um, and I truly believe that he doesn't think he's done with the game yet. He has more to offer. And uh, until he proves me wrong, I, I, I'm not I'm not ranking him any lower i'm sorry no i it's a it's a very good argument i went back and forth on this one this was not an easy choice um but i'm i'm still taking patrick mahomes uh i i get why people have fallen off of him i get why you know people think they figured out the chiefs no one has figured out patrick mahomes he did all that and still found his team all the way to the afc championship game with a damn near close chance of going back to the super bowl for a fourth consecutive year uh in a loaded conference um, and that was when, again, everyone had supposedly figured them out, right? Uh, Mahomes has everything you need. I think he's way more cerebral than we ever give him credit for because it's always just the big arm and people talk about Texas Tech and all that other stupid shit. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Um, and I have it as 1A, 1B. You can flip them back and forth between him and Brady uh, for me, so I'm giving away my number two pick here because we are just talking about for this upcoming season. but. If you're asking me right now, who would you want to be your quarterback here for this upcoming season? I get the Tom Brady thing, but we also are talking about a 45-year-old quarterback still. And I know Tom Brady's unbelievable. And I know he's going to be unbelievable again. And I'm not discrediting how unbelievable he is. And I'm not undermining how incredible it is. That's just how highly I think of Patrick Mahomes. None of that is a slight to Brady or anything he's accomplished. He's the greatest of all time. He might be the greatest athlete of my lifetime. Uh, but to me... What Mahomes is doing right now uh, and has done for the last four years is absurd. Four years starting, four AFC championship games, two Super Bowl appearances, and he's got a ring. And he's, what, 26 years old, 27 years old. Uh, Mahomes' arrow is still going up. Even with the change, I think they're going to change the offense, and that's part of this too. I don't think we're going to see the same Chiefs offense we're used to, and I think that's going to make him that much more dangerous this year. Uh, so I have Brady number two for me. So who's number two for you? Josh Allen mm. at number two. Just uh, uh, you know the way he's he's come up uh, year over year. He's he's increased uh, his talent level. He's increased the skill, um, and and I think there's there's no stopping him here. Uh, 
he he's playing in a in a. I know that the Jets drafted well, and and the Dolphins got better with Tyree Kill, but <clears throat> and the Patriots even made the playoffs last year. But that's still one of the weaker divisions in football, uh, I think, top to bottom. So uh, the way that he played in there, like look, half of almost half of the games that we had on our on our top game slate, uh, top games to watch for next year involve the bills so he's going to have some tough competition um but believe you me uh, the way that he's able to to throw the ball uh he's going to keep his team in a lot of games and i think i i think he's i went back and forth on this one too but uh i think he's for sure top three uh but i have him here inside the inside of two I don't quite have him in top three. I'll be honest Ooh, with you, wow. Scotty. Interesting. Um, but we'll get there. Uh, number three for you, Scott, after Josh Allen is? I caught you mid-bite. Justin Herbert, the wow. greatest quarterback you'll ever see uh, in the history of the Read Option podcast. I mean, the dude's dynamite. He's got a power arm. He's going to sling it all over Los Angeles into Calabasas County uh, into San Fernando Valley. Uh, he'll do it all and he'll sling it all the way back down to San Diego after they win a Super Bowl uh, at some point in his career. But he's one of the greatest quarterbacks you'll ever see. Uh, he's got a ton of weapons in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams around him. So uh, look for this guy to have a monster year. Yeah. I mean, he might have a monster year, but I mean, you're making, we're making this list off. It's of my list. We've seen. I know it's your <laughs> list, but your list is already wrong. <laughs> J- Justin Herbert is unbelievable. An incredible talent, but what has he accomplished? What has he done in the league? Yeah, he hasn't gone to the playoffs, but uh, I'll tell you what, he's about to. <laughs> Maybe, I hope so. I love Justin Herbert. I was huge. I was I was big on Justin Herbert coming out of that draft. I had him ahead of Tua. It was me. It was Burrow, Herbert, Tua. But- Tua three. I, uh, all right. Like I said, it's your list. It's your list. Um, number three for me, Aaron Rodgers, uh, back to back MVP of the league. Uh, has obviously won a Super Bowl, still playing at an elite level. Uh, other than Tom Brady, the smartest mind at the quarterback position. Um, and his arm is still pretty lethal. Uh, the Devonte Adams stuff is obviously a question mark, but again, if you're, if we're the way I, I viewed this list, we're talking about for this year, you can put this guy on your team and he's your quarterback and you're going to go try to win a Super Bowl. Um, I, I understand the playoff shortcomings. Um, they're not all on him. They're just not, uh, San Francisco did an unbelievable job in that crazy blizzard game. No question, but special teams, baby. I am I'm rolling with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers and is back-to-back MVP, four-time MVP winner, Super Bowl champion. Um, and the weirdly enough, I mean that definitely thing too with that Green Bay team did that defense is going to be incredible. They just locked yeah, they up just, Jair uh, Alexander for a long-term yeah. extension. He didn't play most of the season. His left tackle didn't play most of the season. They were still the one seed, still the best record in the NFC. Um and they just got even better in this offseason. I, 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 well, at, at least on defense. Losing Devonta Adams hurts, um, but I like what they did in the draft. I like some of the pieces they brought in and taking Aaron Rodgers. And a great offensive line in front of him. Did you see David Bakhtiari again at the Bucks game in Game Five? Oh, did he? Ch- I missed game that. Six he, did he chug he another beer? Deleted a beer in three sips. <laughs> 
I don't even. We, we <laughs> gotta come up with a better term for when he deletes a beer because I feel like delete isn't even fair. He eviscerates beers. Yeah, Un- unbelievable. Uh, but that all of those reasons are why Aaron Rodgers is my number four. I dabble with this one, uh, going back and forth on on a couple of these guys who have have played at an MVP level. Um, but Rodgers, you know the the talent he brings, and you said it. If you put him on any football team, uh, he probably makes you a playoff team. Um, except maybe for like the Texans, but uh, <clears throat> most teams, if you put him on, uh, he, he's, he's getting into the playoffs year one. So uh, I love, I love the way he, he plays the game. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks, uh, despite the fact that we have a, a burgeoning, well, not burgeoning, we've had a rivalry with green Bay and he's a big part of it. Um, and uh, I hate seeing him in the playoffs every year because I, I, you know, he can take over a game just as easily. Uh, as as anyone else out there so i love it uh he's he's my number four uh and that gives me my number four which is josh allen um Mm. unbelievable athlete we know what he can do physically run the ball we know the way he can take over games i'd like to see him save that for big moments and big games at the end of games uh particularly in the playoffs week six um yeah which he did a really good job of last year right and it wasn't until the playoffs that we started seeing more and more of that out of josh allen uh, but the big thing with him still is just, and this isn't even his fault, again, because of that coin flip, but we just haven't seen it at the winning level fully. We've seen him win a couple of playoff games. We've seen him play well in the playoffs. Uh, and there's an argument that we should have seen him in the AFC Championship game, or at least we could have could have seen him in the AFC Championship game uh, if the you know overtime rules were a little bit different but they weren't we didn't get a chance to see that and i just i can't put him ahead of either one of those three guys uh mahomes brady or aaron Rodgers. what i think is astounding is we're about to get to number five and you still haven't said uh patrick mahomes yet so i'll give you the floor and if you don't have mahomes here we might just have to end the podcast forever patrick mahomes all at right, number five all right. the podcast <laughs> is safe the podcast is safe for now <laughs> Yeah, I, I almost, you know, I, I almost put him outside the top five. I really did. Um, I think that his his talent level just, it, I, I'd be an idiot to not have him in my top five. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, again, here's another guy. You put him on almost any team, and uh, they're a winner uh, just because of what he brings to the table, uh, let alone anyone else. And that's the reason I think the Chargers are going to be okay um, this year, I don't think the Chiefs people are uh, sorry, Chiefs, uh, but the uh, Freudian slip, Justin Herbert's better. Uh, but the the Chiefs are going to be um, uh, just okay, uh, you know, because they have that number 15 call in place um, and and running things from uh, from uh, from the quarterback position. So, See, this is why I need Vito on the pod when we do these, because he would virtually smack you upside the head. Because even as much of a Herbert lover as he is. Uh, I don't even think he would have Justin Herbert ahead of Mahomes yet. If Herbert goes out and wins a Super Bowl this if, if Herbert goes out and wins the Super Bowl this year, then yeah, okay, I'm open to that conversation. But through two years, as unbelievable as he's been, as impressed as I've, I've been with him, no, we're not there yet with uh, with Justin Herbert, and that's why uh, my number five pick is Joey Burrow. Um, mm. Joe Burrow at this point in his career, what he's done, what he did last year, coming off the ACL tear. Uh, being one of the leaders in the NFL and in passing yards. He's got a fantastic set of weapons around him. Still didn't have an offensive line, and it still didn't matter because he gets the ball out quick, right? 
it's that old Brady thing, right? You, you can't hit him if he gets the ball out of his hands. And he's already reached a point where he's going to get protected by every single ref, as all quarterbacks are. But he's in that like extra gear of guys, especially after having torn his ACL already. Uh, he gets another year of recovery, another year where he's going to be fully healthy. I think he's going to have more zip on the ball because that was the one thing he could unleash a deep ball pretty well last year. But those intermediate throws, the short throws, you know, a lot of those are those lame ducks still. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that for the majority of the year, he was less than 12 months removed from ripping up every single 10 his fucking knee. And we're going to see Joe Burrow back. The moxie, the 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 leadership, and then all the physical tools are there. I, I still have always kind of questioned his arm strength, but arm strength isn't the most important thing. Being a good quarterback is. The mental side of it, the leadership, having command yeah. on the field, and that's all stuff that you can't teach. And I think Herbert has some of that too, but he doesn't have as much as Joe Burrow. Uh, and so I have Joe Burrow at number five. He's got all of it and more. Uh, I do have Joe Burrow at six, if I may segue there. So, uh, yeah, Burrow at six for for all of those reasons. But, again, the thing that bothers me is that he gets – he's smart about a lot of plays, uh, but there's uh, – also Justin Herbert's better. But uh, just a plug, uh, no, um, Burrow gets on the run too much, uh, and sometimes it's a smart play, sometimes it's not. Uh, I think I'm interested to see this year uh, how much we can avoid some of that being that the offensive line will be better. It'll have a little more time to, to go through progressions and make decisions rather than, uh, you know, just run and gun, like whatever's the first option open go, uh, which in, in a lot of respects is good. It's, it's a lot of what uh, Tom Brady does uh, really well, but Tom Brady also knows when to just throw the ball away. Uh, uh, Tom Brady also knows how to, to carve apart, uh, a, a defense with those throws and not, you know, just make them cause you have to, uh, right. And so yeah, that's Burrow the next level. To, I think Burrow yeah. can get to agreed. Burrow needs to do, but also the spectacular plays like the touchdown pass against Tennessee at the end of the first half, that probably should have gotten called back. Right. Like plays like that are a result of him playing that way. So I don't think you're ever going to take that completely out of his game, but I think the, the other underrated part of Joe Burrow is the pre-snap stuff. You know, like for we, that's where it's it's not just first read and go like Jalen Hurts. It's assessing at the line of scrimmage where the open receiver is going to be, knowing he's going to get pressure from one side or another, getting the ball out, getting the ball out on time, and putting it in a place where his wide receivers and all that talent around him is going to be able to make plays. And then when he has to make the off-schedule plays because his offensive line was such shit, which has gotten a lot better this year too, I think we're going to see an even better and, and more improved Joe Burrow this year because he's also the kind of dude who I think just – he, he walks that confident swagger walk, but he's also a dude who puts in the fucking work in the offseason. And he's a grinder. He's a coach's son. Like, that's all, all that shit, all those cliches. Like, he's got all those. And he's got that confidence of a dude who's been playing in the NFL for 15 years. Uh, number six for me, you might have a conniption here, Scotty, uh, Matthew Stafford. Um, mm. I, to me, it, a lot of this still comes down to I have to have seen it. Um, if we're having this conversation last year, just like I said, we're like, if Herbert wins the title and we're having this conversation a year from now, right, we're talking a completely different story. Stafford won big games. Uh, I know he's made mistakes. I know he's not perfect. I know he's been basically the same guy his whole career, but he still has a rocket arm. He's still an incredibly smart quarterback. He's still physically, I mean, he's got his, his deep ball percentage was number one in the NFL by a long margin. I think 76% on balls like that traveled 40 yards or more downfield. Um, and the next closest was Josh Allen at like 61%. Uh, 
So we're talking about a guy who's still an elite deep ball thrower. And that offense, I know they'd like to run it still with McVay, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be looking at Matthew Stafford as one of the top six to seven quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And he was a guy that was forgotten on these lists for a long time because he was stuck in Detroit and he won a Super Bowl in his first year in LA with a really good cast around him. But like Robert Woods goes down, right? And yeah, they have OBJ, but they're fitting OBJ midseason. And no one, re- it wasn't really until the playoffs that we started seeing OBJ come alive. His number one running back goes down. He's playing with a 40 year old left tackle. You know, and they have a great defense there, but that offense was still one of the highest scoring. I think they were number two scoring offense in the NFL last year. Matthew Stafford's a huge part of that. Matthew Stafford deserves the credit and the shine, even though I know you hate the Rams. I have him at number six. You get you got that right. I hate the Rams. Uh, almost didn't make my list, but he is there. We'll get there. Uh, All right, number seven. Uh, number seven. Russell Wilson. Oh. Okay. Russell Wilson, just because I, I think uh, for, for the situation he was in, uh, you know, winning us going from winning a Super Bowl to uh, continuing to be the most sack quarterback to, Hey, we're going to let you throw the first eight weeks, but uh, guess what? Now we're going to commit to the run on uh, the back half of the year to, uh, to the final situation that he was in, uh, in, in, <laughs> in Seattle, where it was just like, well, we're going to run the ball all the time, even though you have two, really good wide receivers uh, and you're still an elite quarterback. Uh, You know, Chris Carson's, we're just going to let him get hurt. Um, And so (laughs) now that he's in a situation uh, with, with a good wide receiving core, young wide receiving core, uh, which can hopefully now stay, stay together. uh, The idea that you can, can build something. And and this is, again, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, this is not win win now mode for Russ. Like they have a, an opportunity with the contract that he has to sort of build around him and build a stable team around him uh, that can be successful uh, for years to come. But I think what he offers you is the ability to take you to the next level to win and talk about a cerebral quarterback. Like that guy at the line of scrimmage is, is one of the best uh, at Reed. So uh, I, I, Love the way he plays. I'm glad that he's no longer in a Seattle uniform, uh, and uh, and I and I I think he's going to be able to air the ball out a little bit uh, in his new home in Denver. Well, thinner air too. Ball travel a little further. Yeah. Uh, no, for me, it's it's more of even before the injuries, even when they did let him cook in 2020, um, teams caught on pretty quick, and his numbers have steadily gone down in the last couple of years. Um, this isn't to say that he can't be great and the dude invests in his body and look, he had his first, you know, kind of somewhat major injury last year. It wasn't even major, but missed time for the first time in his career last year, uh, which obviously contributes to that. But some of the deep ball actually has fallen off some of the intermediate, the short stuff has not been great. And a lot of that also gets helped with a running game. Uh, I, it's not as much that we haven't seen it with Russ, which is why I don't have him next on my list. It's why I need to see it again from Russ. I need to see the second stage of Russ, just like we need to see with Matthew Stafford. We need to see Matthew Stafford's second stage in a new city, in a new uniform, in a new offense. And when it did, it was amazing. Whether or not we can see that two years in a row, I'm skeptical. But but again, if I could have Russell Wilson be the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles right now, I I definitely would consider that, right? Um, Number seven for me, finally off the board, Scotty, is Justin Herbert. Uh, I have her. I have Herbert ahead of guys like Russell Wilson, right? I have Herbert again above guys 
um, who have done really good things and been really successful quarterbacks who have more experience than him. But this is where I have that talent, the intelligence, the athleticism. Obviously, we know how good the arm is. Dude threw for 5,000 yards last year. He's got great weapons around him. Um, I'm a huge Justin Herbert fan, but this is a guy going into his third year. Uh, Joe Burrow made it to the Super Bowl in his second year. That's the only reason I really give him the benefit of the doubt, right? If the roles were reversed, I would have Justin Herbert ahead of, of Joe Burrow because I, I, that is an important thing when we're talking about guys I need to see. It's not to say that guys can't do this. It's just to me, I, I want to see how you perform in big moments. We never saw Justin Herbert play in a big-time college football game. I think he played in one Rose Bowl his junior year. Uh, we've never seen him play in the playoffs. We never saw him play in any big games at Oregon again, other than like, I think, I think he played in one Rose Bowl his junior year. He did. Um, and he had that Ohio State game where they won too. Um, but no, he didn't play in the Ohio State game. That was last year. Oh, four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. I was going to say, I was like, what are you talking about? Um, is that a bowl game? No, it was in the preseason. No, it's not Ohio State. Who am I? Uh, I was going to say, I was like, Zach Parker's getting on it. Was it Wisconsin, maybe? Nah, maybe. I was going to say, I was like, I don't. I was Because when Oregon and Ohio State played this past offseason, or this past college football season, it was the first thing they played, I think, maybe, like, since the uh, college football playoff. Nonetheless, Justin Herbert's a stud, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do here. I just, the yards are impressive two years in, but the yards were impressive for Jameis Winston two years in, too, right? So I just need to see a little more before I can put him up in that higher echelon. Uh, number eight for me, since we already talked about this guy, I have Russell Wilson. Um, again, I just need to see it again. That that's what it comes down for me. I, we saw it. We saw young Russ with a great defense who didn't throw the ball a ton, um, and, and ran the ball a lot and was nowhere near the polished player that he turned out to be. Um, uh, we saw Russell Wilson carry that team and, and make deep runs and, and be a really, really good team in a competitive division out West, um, and, and now we've seen what the last couple of years were with the whole pushing for let Russ cook. There's still so many amazing things about Russell Wilson, but his age, uh, again, had his first little injury thing. I just want to see what he looks like in the new system. Um, I, and to be honest, if Nathaniel Hackett runs a similar offense that they ran um, in Green Bay, uh, Russ is still not going to be airing it out a ton because it's going to be that same Green Bay offense. And I don't know how much of that is a little flirt versus Hackett. I don't know what they're going to do. That's why a lot of this is still a little too early to tell. But uh, Russ definitely still deserves top 10 respect uh, in my book, even if he's not necessarily the guy that he once was. Number eight for you. Lamar Jackson. Uh, they took away his greatest weapon uh, in Hollywood Brown, I think. Um, and I think it's a year where uh, they need to they need to say, hey, Lamar, you want an extension? This is on you now. Uh, ball's in your court. Uh, and when the pressure's on, uh, when Lamar needs to be uh, the best player on the field, he is, uh, and he plays at an MVP level. And that's why uh, I think with the, with the situation he's found himself in this year, he's going to need to play at that level for the Ravens to be uh, in any sort of contention, uh, particularly as dominant or as good as the AFC looks like they're going to be uh, in terms of playoff seating. So, uh, I have Lamar there just because I know what he can bring from an intensity and a skill level uh, on the football field. He's going to be one of the best players out there. Man, I just took a look at the Baltimore Ravens uh, depth chart. Rashad Bateman, I'm a big fan of. I think he can still be really, really great. You know who the number two wide receiver on the Baltimore Ravens is right now? No. Devin Duvernay. <laughs> 
Oh, I was going to say Mark Andrews. Do you know who? Well, that's true. Uh, do you know who the uh, the slot receiver is? No, I, I literally don't even know who this is. James Proch the second. Oh. Uh, followed by Tylen Wallace as a backup. Benjamin uh, Benjamin Victor as a backup. Jalen Moore as a backup. Um, they got some work to do. Uh, that being said that's not what this question is, right? That's not what this, this workout is. It's what is Lamar Jackson? Would you want having Lamar on your team um, as a quarterback? Lamar is in my top 10. I don't have him at number eight. Um, I love Lamar. I want him to stay healthy again. And I think we got a little freaked out last year when we saw the, you know, the first kind of major injury at the high ankle sprain and basically sitting him out for the rest of the year. But I remember watching that game week two against Kansas city, man. And I know just how good he can be. So uh, he's definitely, again, in that conversation, just won the MVP in 2019, right? We're only just a couple of years removed from Lamar Jackson being the best player in the NFL. Uh, he's not your traditional quarterback by any means, but you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who wouldn't want Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. There's only a handful of guys ahead of him. Uh, for number nine, Scotty, who do you have? It's a guy we've already talked about uh, uh, who I reluctantly put in the top ten, but uh, Matthew, Matthew Stafford. Stafford. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that, and I get it. He in, in that range again. I understand it. Um, again, it's another and, year under him to old, another year older too. Physically, how's he feeling? I don't know. That and the my big thing last year watching because I I watched him a lot, uh, having played him twice in the division, and then you know the I I just I like watching good teams too, uh, <clears throat> but you never knew which. And we talked about this in the almost. It, entirely throughout the playoffs, including the NFC championship game is which version of, of Stafford are you going to get? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause no if he's question. really good and he's on, he's really good. But if he's yeah. not, then, you know, well, and there's always going to be interceptions, right? There's always going to be a couple well, sure, of the yeah. bonehead thoughts that you're thinking, what were you thinking there? And mistakes that like the top three, four five guys typically don't make. Um, so I, I don't have any quarrels with him being, you know, I would say number nine is probably the lowest I would rank him on this list, just based off of everything we've seen uh, in the last year. Uh, number nine for me will probably draw the air of, of many Eagles fans, but Dak Prescott. Um, mm. He is my biggest fear with Justin Herbert is that it's he becomes Dak, right? There's nothing not to like about him. Arm strength, great. Regular season quarterback, great. Uh, mobile, big, leader, smart, all the things that you like. Uh, throws a lot of touchdowns, doesn't turn the ball over too much, can make things happen, wins games in prime time. Uh, but then you put him in the playoffs, and now all of a sudden we're staring down, what, how many years? 2016 Dak was drafted, right? So we're going on. This is year number uh, six for Dak. This is a put-up-or-shut-up kind of season. His favorite weapon throughout what? his career is gone. We'll call it five because he had the huge injury that. Oh, true. Okay. That's fair. Nonetheless, still five years in. He's got one playoff win, I think. If that. Uh, do they even have that? I think, yeah. I think he has. An issue was against the Niners. I think he had one in 20, in the 2018, 2019 season. I think he, I think they got one uh, over the Rams, I want to say. It was like the end of the Todd Gurley Rams. Mm. Um, but. You know, again, one, if it is one, it's either one or it's zero. I'm pretty sure he has one. Um, with that team, the roster that they've had there, the excuses are, are running very thin for Dak. Um, but I also, 
you know, Dak's another one who, for whatever reason, it seems like the biggest moments of the game just kind of shies away from him a little bit. It just doesn't seem like he's fully there in those biggest moments. Um, so I have Dak at number nine. All right, last one's number 10 for you, Scotty, is? This was hard. I had Dak on the outside looking in. Uh, I wanted to put him here, but I'm going to say Kyler Murray. Mm. But just like the first 10 weeks before he gets injured, which is inevitable. Unfortunately, that doesn't work that way, Scott. <laughs> the NFL season isn't 10 weeks long. <clears throat> No, I know, if you need a playoff run too, you'd have to say the NFL would have to be six weeks long. The thing is, Kyler healthy is going to get you there. Like he'll get you enough wins to get you into the postseason. We we know that he's uh, a a skilled, smart player. We know that he has a a powerful arm. He now has two, uh, if not three, really good wide receivers in their lineup uh, with the addition of Hollywood Brown, uh, who he had a connection with in college, being at Oklahoma. Um, and I, he's proven to me that he can, he can win close games and he can win tough games. It's, it's when he's banged up late in the season and the durability is a, a huge problem, uh, that, that, that kind of slips away because, you know, 10 weeks into the season last year, we were all going, Oh, Cardinals are 10 and Oh, like they're an obvious Super Bowl favorite. Uh, and then <laughs> they get to the divisional round and get smoked, right? Because the next seven weeks of the season, Kyler was hurt. And either not in the game or or not playing well enough because he was still hurt. Um, yeah. So, so that to I, me is like he can get you there, but he can't get you past there. I don't have Kyler anywhere near. Like Tyler's and like off my draft board. I, I just I want no part of it. I I see when he's great how electrifying it is, but you know the two big two and this is why we're, we're talking about quarters we're not just talking about arm strength or accuracy or any of this other stuff we're talking about this is a guy you want to be your quarterback for the 2022 nfl season can't stay healthy hasn't been able to stay healthy once as soon as he does get banged up he's not a dude like josh allen or mahomes or any of these other bigger dudes who can fight through injury and play through injury even hell fucking baker mayfield who was willing to go out there and play through injury um because when kyler does what makes him special is completely gone. Uh, the size thing is a big deal. And the leadership aspect is shit. You know, yeah, they started out 10 and 0, but they were also losing in the fourth quarter to the Jacksonville Jaguars at one point during that 10 and 0 stretch, right? So even when they do win games, not all wins are, you know, created equally. And Kyler Murray's just an, a non starter for me. I, I'm, I made my, my stance on Kyler when we talked about the, the last draft, the last little thing we did like this, when we had our Burrow and, and uh, Herbert argument. I'm just out. I'm out on him. And I wish him the best of luck. And, I, and if he's healthy, then I win it the other way because I get to watch amazing, an amazing athlete do something. But there's plenty of document, And we've talked about it in this pod, so I don't have to go into it. But there's plenty on Kyler to know that that dude is about Kyler. I don't think he's about winning. Um, the Hollywood Brown thing is interesting, but you know, it's are you are we relying on AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins to stay healthy now at this point when neither one of them has been able to for two years now? Um, it's a concern. If nothing else, it's a concern. Uh, number ten for me, Lamar. I have Lamar ten. Um, there's just too much, too much. I mean, he's he's what you he's what we all hope Kyler could be, right? He's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. Uh, and he's more shifter. He's hard to tackle. And he doesn't, you know, the high ankle sprain was kind of a weird fluky injury, 
Whereas Kyler, there's a there's a train of this, right? So if we're talking about two similar quarterbacks in terms, and Kyler's a better pocket passer than Lamar, I'll say that, even though Lamar has gotten better. Uh, and I think uh, Kyler's more of that, like, keep the eyes downfield when he's scrambling. But Lamar's gotten better and better at that every single year. Before he got hurt this year, he looked like he was getting better again. Um, and to think, too, like the running backs and everything he was doing with the, at, at that time, um, I'm still really worried about that wide receiver room, though. Who knows? Maybe there's a trade. Maybe there's a midseason trade or something that'll that'll come around. Or maybe maybe his old buddy Antonio Brown will end up signing in Baltimore. Though I did see AB tweeted today, just want to retire a Steeler. Get the fuck out of here, dude. What a the dude is just an absolute glutton for the spotlight. It's awful. Um, any honorable <laughs> mentions of guys we didn't? I will say one thing here. I didn't include Deshaun Watson on my list. Um, nor I. <clears throat> I think if we're just talking talent, there's no question he's in this list. Um, but I'm just – I'm not putting him on my list. Sorry. You, you disagree with me, you can disagree with me. He's just not – again, just like Kyler, he's off my draft board right now. Um, may not always be that way, but for right now, he's off my draft board. And yeah. uh, and not having that. Anyone else? Maybe somebody – who is someone who we didn't say? Because really the only one that we that – I that was different was Kyler and Dak. Otherwise, we had the same 10. Um, anyone we didn't say who you think this time next year we will be talking about in this in this group? I think I think Derek Carr has a legitimate shot at being one of those guys. I think he's um, an argument right now, to be honest. Yeah, um, especially with Devonte. Yep, especially with Devonte. Um, and then any you of the know, younger guys, any of the rookies. I, I don't Tua's think any got, of the rookies. Tua's got a lot of weapons. Tua, I think Tua of all the the young guys has probably the most to prove, but I think Mac Jones is still in the driver's seat for that uh, conversation, uh, particularly at AFC East. But I, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what uh guy like Zach Wilson does this year. Now that he's Me got too. more weapons too, you know? Me too. Um, so, so, and Trey Lance, of course, whenever, well, whenever and, he gets in. <laughs> and I say this partially as a Homer, but partially genuinely, I think there's a world where Jalen hurts is on this list next year. Yeah. I think yeah, there's I think a so world, I, I mean, again, a lot of that will be dictated off of the personnel that's around him, which is admittedly significantly better than it was before. But if the Eagles win the NFC East, make it to the divisional round, Jalen Hurts improves in the way that, you know, Howie and the, and the guys there think that he's going to in this next year. Um, the running aspect is there, and we talked about that with Lamar, and we talked about it with Kyler, right, the dynamic athlete aspect of it. So if the passing side of it develops too, I think there's absolutely a world where Jalen Hurts is on this list. And I also think there's a world where Jalen Hurts is in the bottom 10. You know, I, it's just he, he to me yeah. has, especially now with A.J. Brown, and again, I say this completely unbiased, I think he has the widest range of could be awesome and could be a top 10 guy if we're talking, if we're having this conversation next year. Because um, all the leadership, all the intangibles, all the working and all that shit off the field, that's all there for him. It's just a matter – and the running's there. It's just a matter of does the throwing get better, and we'll see. Um, all right, that's the pod for today. On Friday, we will be reacting to the first round of the PGA Championship. We were going to talk a little golf today. Didn't have time to squeeze it in, but we'll get it in on Friday's pod. Uh, we'll react to the first round of that, maybe give you some betting stuff based off the first day to try to bet on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we will also recap the first two games of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Uh, and I believe playoff. I think we have playoff hockey tonight, Scotty. Tonight, the next. Uh, couple no, nights. Uh, 
Tuesday, Tuesday, I think. All right, so all sports are off on Monday. Uh, Luckily for you, we're recording on Monday. So uh, for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Vito will be back on Friday's pod as well. Hopefully I'm COVID negative by then. Um, I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. As always, follow us on all of our social medias at Read Option Pod everywhere you get your podcast. And uh, I haven't said this one in a while, but share the pod with a friend, huh? Somebody who uh, who you haven't shared with before, give it a share, and we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.